Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Do you remember last Thursday? Not the Thursday that was just a couple of days ago, but the Thursday before that. Personally, I had to pull open my calendar to look and to remember what I was doing last Thursday. It may have only been 10 days ago, but if you're anything like me, it feels a lot longer ago than that. And I bet last Thursday would have felt like even longer ago if we had been with Jesus' disciples in that house in Jerusalem on Pentecost. Because it had been that last Thursday that Jesus had left. He had ascended. At that point, it had been 40 days since he had risen from the dead, and Jesus had appeared to them a number of times over those 40 days. But then, last Thursday, he had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. He told them that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from then. And then he had risen up into the sky out of their sight. And it had been ten days since that happened. Ten long days while the disciples waited for they didn't exactly know. What did Jesus mean that they'd be baptized by the Holy Spirit? What would that look like? How would it happen? For that matter, what even was the Holy Spirit? And when was this going to happen? Not many days from now, Jesus had said, but that was extraordinarily unhelpfully vague. I mean, how many is not many? As the days went by, it must have gotten harder and harder to wait, especially because the disciples didn't know what they were waiting for. And now it was Pentecost, the feast of the 50 days, 50 days after Passover. People had come to Jerusalem from all over for this celebration, which was the celebration of the first harvest, the first fruits of the growing season of that year. So the city would have been buzzing with people. But Jesus' disciples weren't taking part in the festivities. They had gathered in a house together, the eleven, plus the other men and women who had been among Jesus' closest followers. They had gathered together, and they were waiting. And then it happened. Can you imagine what it must have been like for these men and women who were gathered in the house? They were all together inside while the hubbub of Pentecost was going on outside, and all of a sudden, whoosh, the house was full of the sound of wind. But wind doesn't usually happen inside. And there wasn't actually any wind, it was just the sound of the wind filling the house. So you can imagine the disciples looking around, trying to figure out what on earth is going on and where this noise is coming from. And you can imagine them just stopping in their tracks because 
Now, in addition to this noise that they're hearing, they're seeing something too. They're seeing something that is bright and moving and it's kind of like fire. It's not fire, but that's really the closest thing they can come up with. And whatever it is, there's some floating above the head of every single person in the house. You can imagine them turning to each other with expressions on their faces of awe or confusion or maybe even fear. You can imagine them asking each other, what's going on? Do you see this? Do you hear this? But rather than those words coming out of their mouths, other words come out of their mouths. Words that they don't even know. They are speaking to each other in languages they have never learned. And I wonder when it was that they understood what had happened. When did they realize that this was the Holy Spirit? Was it the sound? Was it the fire? Was it the languages? I wonder if they didn't really get it until what happened next. Luke doesn't give us the details, but in between verses four and verses verse four and verse five of chapter two, something has happened, and the disciples have left the house that they had been in. They have gone out, out into the street, maybe out into a public square. They have gone out into Jerusalem, and they're still speaking these languages that they have never known before. And people are coming and listening. And I wonder if that's when they realized. If that's when they remembered what Jesus had told them before he ascended. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Surely, certainly they had received some kind of power. And here they were, being witnesses in Jerusalem. And so I wonder if this is when they realized it must have been the Holy Spirit. I wonder, too, if that's when they learned a crucial lesson. That one of the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit propels us outward and toward others. I suppose that the disciples could have stayed inside the house, marveling at the fiery things on top of their heads, having fun with their new ability to speak other languages. But they didn't do that. It's like somehow they knew that whatever these gifts were that the Holy Spirit had given them, these gifts weren't just for them to enjoy among themselves. These gifts were to be taken to others and to be used for the sake of others. And then imagine what it was like for the ones to whom the disciples were sent. They were Jews who were in Jerusalem, but who were from all over the known world. Because over the centuries, as empire after empire had swept through Israel and conquered them, 
Jews found themselves living at the ends of the earth. And as time had gone on, people had taken on their, as their own the language of whatever land they were living in. And so those languages had become their native tongues. And so now Luke tells us, devout Jews from all over the known world were in Jerusalem. It's not clear whether they were just visiting for Pentecost or whether they were actually living there in Jerusalem. But either way, they would have been in the heart of their cultural homeland, but it probably wouldn't have felt like home. And their language would have been a big part of that. The Aramaic that would have been spoken around them was not their native language. And no matter how fluent they may have become in it, they would never feel as at home speaking that as they would speaking or hearing their mother tongue. But suddenly, on this day of Pentecost, that's exactly what these people were hearing. These people were just walking through the streets of Jerusalem and they stumbled on a little group of folks who were excited and talking to anybody who would stop and listen. And people did stop and listen because those people were speaking their language. Somehow, whatever language the people spoke, one of these folks was speaking it. Now, if you were a Mede or an Elamite or a Cappadocian or whatever, and you were living in Jerusalem, you likely would have known who the other Medes or Elamites or Cappadocians were. But these people, they weren't Medes or Elamites or Cappadocians. They didn't know these folks, but they knew they were speaking their language. Those words, those tones would have been so familiar and so comforting. But then there was what the people were actually saying, and that was so amazing. Because what the disciples were talking about was what God had done. What they were talking about was how Jesus was the Messiah, and that even though he'd been crucified, God had raised him from the dead, and that just last Thursday, before their very eyes, Jesus had ascended into heaven. And then today, today the Holy Spirit had come upon them and enabled them to speak these languages that they had never known before. These people were talking about the mighty works of God. And they were doing it in the native languages of the not-quite-foreigners who were living in Jerusalem that day. And when they heard this, these not-quite-foreigners, when they heard about their mighty works, these mighty works in their own languages, when they heard it, somehow they knew. They knew that what God had done was for them also. They knew that they had a place among the mighty works of God. All through Eastertide, these last seven weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like for us to be faithful witnesses of the risen Christ. And even though the story of Pentecost 
happened before all the other stories in Acts that we have been reading. This story of Pentecost, I think, really sums up everything that we have been talking about. Because the heart of being a faithful witness of Jesus is being filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and meet people where they are and to help them see that they have a place in the mighty works of God. And here at St. Michael's, we want to be those kinds of witnesses. After all, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That means helping those of us who already know Jesus to know him and love him more deeply. But it also means introducing people to Jesus who don't know him already and inviting them to find their place in God's great story of redemption. And we've been talking this year about how we can do that. How can we as a congregation intentionally reach out to the community around us with God's love and share with them the good news of the gospel? Hopefully you remember back in March, we had a couple of congregational meetings to talk about that question. And specifically, we were talking about how we could reach out to the empty nesters and to the seniors in the community around us, a group of people that we have a particular heart for here. And over the last couple of months, the vestry has taken those ideas, your very good ideas, and has prayed and thought and talked and explored, and the vestry has come up with something for us to try. It is a simple and hopefully a fun way that all of us can practice being faithful witnesses, being people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out, to connect with people, and to invite them to find their place in God's story. And the best part is that all you have to do is have dinner. See, whenever we talk about what it is that we are good at here at St. Michael's, when we talk about the gifts that God has given us as a congregation, fellowship and food are always near the top of the list. (laughs) We are a congregation that really does love each other, that loves spending time together, and that often loves to do that over food. So this summer, we're going to try an experiment. It's an experiment that we are calling Common Tables. Because in Acts 2, just a little while after Pentecost, we read about how the early Christians had everything in common and regularly broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And we want to do that too. We want to do that and we want to share it with others. We want to share the common life of table fellowship, common tables. And this is what common tables is. It's a group of St. Michael's people getting together to share a meal. It's inviting some friends to join them who don't go to church or who may not know Jesus. And it's later inviting those friends to come to church. That's it. We have a handout that you will get on your way out. It looks like this. And it tells you everything you need to know 
but here is the gist. What I am asking you to do, inviting you, encouraging you to do, is sometime this summer, in the next three months, to find a few other people in the congregation that you would like to have a meal with. They could be people that you know well. Even better, they could be people you would like to get to know better. Or maybe they're people who live near you, or people that you share some common interest with. So I would say three or four individuals, couples, get together, decide on a day to have lunch or dinner, preferably at one of your houses. And then each of those people or couples invites a friend or a neighbor, somebody they know, who doesn't go to church, or who may not know Jesus. And if you invite that person and they say, great, they say yes, they can come, then that is fantastic. And if you invite them and they say no, you say, okay, and you still get to have lunch or dinner with your friends from St. Michael's. (laughs) I want to encourage you to pray about who God would lead you to invite. And when you invite them, do let them know that these are church friends you're getting together with. You know, we don't want to play bait and switch here. We're not trying to hide anything. But it's just some friends from church getting together, and we'd love for you to join us. A couple of things about the meal. One, make it simple. Two, be normal. So simple. This is not an elaborate dinner party. This is a burger on your back porch. It's wine and cheese. It's takeout if that's what you want to do. This is not about a dinner party. This is about sharing food and fellowship. And then on the be normal front, that means do what you would normally do. So if normally you were getting together with some folks from St. Michael's and you would say a blessing over the meal, then do that. If you wouldn't, then don't. If you would talk about God or church or faith in the course of your conversation normally, then do that. If you wouldn't, then don't. This is all about just being real and authentic and inviting people to taste a little bit of Christian community. That's all you have to do. One more thing. Afterwards, follow up. Maybe it was super fun and you just want to get together again, and that is a great thing to do. Even if you don't, just follow up a few days later, a week later, and invite the person to church. You can make it really, really simple. Like, hey, it was really fun to have dinner with you the other week, and I wondered if you wanted to come to church with me sometime. That's it. Even better, say, I wonder if you want to come, church, come to church with me next Sunday, because sometime is a little vague, right? <laughs> and if they say no, no problem. You just receive that graciously. You say, okay, that's fine. We'd always love to have you if you'd ever like to come. If they say yes, great. Offer to give them a ride, maybe, or just make sure you look out for them and greet them and introduce them to people. If they say yes, but they can't come this Sunday, then maybe try to find a date that they can come so it's not just that vague sometime. And either way, no matter what happens, keep in touch with the person. As we say in the handout, people are people, not projects, right? 
So continue to love them, to care about them, to share fellowship with them, however you would normally relate to them, whether they ever walk through these doors or not. And then finally, tell us about it. This is an experiment that hopefully we are all going to be doing, and so we want to hear how it's going. So share your stories with each other, share them with me, ask questions. It's just good to know what God will do through us. So how does this little experiment, how does Common Tables help us live out this call to be faithful witnesses? Well, you'll see it's that we are going out to people. So just like the disciples didn't stay in the house on Pentecost, but they went out into the city, what we're trying here is not just staying in our church, waiting for people to come to us. It's us going out to them. So we're going out to people, and we are, in a way, speaking their native language. In our congregational meetings, we were talking about what the needs were of the community around us. And one thing kept coming up again and again, which was fellowship. People need and want fellowship and community. And so by inviting people to share a meal and to meet people, we are meeting a need. We're meeting them where they are. It's like we're speaking their language. And by being our authentic selves, by acting normal, we are giving people a chance to see what Christian community and fellowship looks like. We're giving people a chance to see what it's like when people come together who know Jesus and love him and know that they have a place in God's story. And by inviting people to come to church, we're inviting them to hear about Jesus, to hear about God's love for them, to hear that God has a place in his story for them. Common Tables is meant to be easy. It's meant to be low pressure. It's meant even to be fun. But anytime we do anything new, it can be hard. It can be a little bit scary. And the good news, we've been saying throughout Eastertide that we are Easter people. The good news is that we are Pentecost people too. That means that we have been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit will empower us to do the things God calls us to do. So think about the disciples. They didn't spend years studying these languages so they could then go out and speak to people. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God called them to do. And similarly, we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to do everything right. We don't have to get all the words right. We just have to be willing, and we have to let the Holy Spirit work through us. And if we do that, then we can trust that God will be faithful to whatever his plans and outcomes are. What happened also on Pentecost after the disciples went out into the streets and the crowds gathered as they heard their language. Peter got up and preached. 
He preached and told people about Jesus and what the whole story was, and he quoted the prophet Joel, that on the last days God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. What Peter is saying here is that God's spirit goes out to each one of us. Young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. Each of us bears the Holy Spirit and so each of us is empowered to do the work that God has called us to do. Because, as Peter concluded his sermon that Pentecost day, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Thanks be to God. Amen.